All right, we're live. What's up, guys? Dave Lipson here with another Love and Thunder podcast. Got a special guest for us today, just a special podcast in general, as I'm here out in Las Vegas with my good buddy, Stan, the rhino efforting. What's going on, dude? I don't know. I'm feeling kind of bad about myself. Uh, I thought I was going to be able to beat you up in here today. We're at Sin City Iron. We just did a little upper body workout, little chest back deal, and uh, you just felt like you had to come out here and kick sand in the old man's face. I really appreciate that. Well, that's, that's not really fair because I texted you like two days ago and I said, hey, I'm coming out. You want to get a workout in? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do some box squats. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I thought about it for a second and I was like, oh, my back is going to be fucked up after sitting for five hours on a plane ride. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, as you get older, you learn to be a little bit smarter. So sure, let's do chest, right? Um, but uh, no, I, Stan... I can't say enough about the guy as someone who's not just an athlete and a coach, but just a fan of fitness in general. Um, he is a mentor, role model, I don't know, what guru, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> this guy's done it at the highest level from being an elite level professional power lifter to on the stage at the Olympia to just a generally well-informed coach when it comes to health, performance, aesthetics, and anything you can do to help maximize yourself. So. Um, for all of our listeners out there, I thought it would be really cool to just cut the crap, get yep. right into it. We'll do a speed start. round. We've got less than 30 minutes and we're going to bang through some questions here. I'll do my best not to be too long winded. No, I, I'm the worst. I end up talking way too much when it comes <laughs> to this stuff. But, um, you know, for, for the athletes out there that are maybe unfamiliar with you or what you do, how would you kind of give them maybe the Cliff Notes version of what you're doing with athletes around the world? Yeah, well... I was a little guy, skinny kid in college, 140 pounds as a freshman, and I wanted to get big and strong. And so uh, I just started lifting weights and eating and, and competing and studying exercise science and uh, eventually working with high school uh, kids in sports. And then, of course, the collegiate uh, football and track athletes at the University of Oregon. It's just been kind of a lifelong learning opportunity for me, and I'm still learning to this very day. Uh, I've probably gained and lost well over a thousand pounds throughout my career, albeit <laughs> intentionally. I bulked up to over 300 pounds to power lift and I would diet down to single digit body fat to compete as a pro bodybuilder. And I learned a lot of lessons along the way just by trial and error. And now we have so much good science. And I'm working with so many great, uh, you know, well-recognized academics in the industry that uh, I'm in a position for where I'm familiar with the vast majority of questions and struggles and troubles that most athletes are having whether it's bulking or dieting or competing uh, in professional sports or high school or collegiate sports. And so most of what I do now is just trying to optimize their performance. And I, I use kind of a foundational method, which I refer to as the vertical diet, something I've been using for over 10 years. I try and build a solid foundation first. And that foundation is, is sleep, train and, and eat. You know, it's just, that's really it. Sleep, eat, train, sleep, eat, train. And so I'll optimize their sleep. And that can include things for heavy athletes like sleep optimization from, uh, you know, getting a, a CPAP machine if they have apnea, uh, working on, you know, good sleep hygiene techniques and characteristics just so I can optimize the duration and quality of their sleep. And then, of course, the training component, which we've evolved quite a bit since with the way I used to train, always thinking that I just had to lift heavy weights to get big. And in, in fact, that's not the case or I had to go to failure all the time. And that true is not the case. And. So I'm able to mitigate injuries with my athletes by decreasing fatigue and, and trying to work on making sure that they can recover from their workouts. And, and especially if they're not just competing in bodybuilding or powerlifting, I have to understand that they have limited physical capital and try to focus that onto, uh, onto their being able to compete in their actual sport and using weight training to augment, just to build strength that it can apply to running faster, jumping higher and throwing further. Uh, and lastly would be the nutrition piece. Uh, 
you want to get bigger, you got to be in a calorie surplus. You want to lose weight, you got to be in a calorie deficit. That's, that's you know, calories are king. Getting sufficient protein. And then I create a foundation of, of micronutrients beyond that, uh, such that people are getting, you know, a broad range of protein sources that are highly bioavailable, micronutrient dense, get sufficient potassium, calcium, magnesium, iron, vitamin D. And so we just build a healthy nutritional base. And then from there on, it's really a matter of compliance. That's my big thing. Compliance is the science. It needs to be simple, sensible, and sustainable. And it's what you can do for the long term with discipline and consistency that's really going to make the big difference. So that's a lot of information, guys. But I'll tell you what. Um, Stan is the guy that I have in my cell phone as he's kind of like that dude I got in my black book when, when, when shit's hitting the fan. So I'll probably call you a couple times a year and I'll go, Hey, Stan, my, my blood pressure is getting really high or, Hey, Stan, I'm trying to cut for a show or, Hey, Stan, I'm having this thing going on with my shoulder. And the reason why I look to him as such a valuable resource is because I see him as the, the type of athlete and human I want to be, you know, being a, a bodybuilder on stage at the Olympia is really fucking cool. Being one of the strongest athletes on earth is really fucking cool. But as we've seen, those things come at a high cost. Yeah. And so now I'm at a point in my life where I love training. I love pursuing these things, but I have to think, what do I want the rest of my life to look like? Because yeah. we're seeing a lot of guys fall off the mark. Probably a lot of guys that you yeah. competed with yeah. that Friends run of mine, people I know look nothing like you anymore. Yeah. Don't have nearly the same health markers. You So I'm constantly asking you, Hey, Stan, what are you doing that yeah. these guys aren't doing? How, how are you holding up so well? And he always has some kind of simple, elegant and, and uh, basal kind of remark where I'm like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. So yeah. I want to talk about a, a few of the common issues, maybe even things that I've called you about yeah. where I'm like, hey, dude, um, I, I got a problem. And for anyone out there, whether you're trying to be an elite athlete, whether you're trying to look awesome or if you're just out there trying to live your best life and be healthy. You know, at Thunderbro, we use the tagline, we want you to thrive, not just survive. So what I want to try to do with you guys in the remainder of this podcast is give you as many resources as we can to help you accomplish that. And I guarantee you something we're talking about is going to resonate with you. So mm -hmm. the first thing I want to get into is gut health. Okay. Now yeah. this is something we're probably pretty similar. When I grew up, you know, I, I had a, a bit of a sensitive stomach. I dealt with some irritable bowel syndrome here and there. And every once in a while, it flares up on me. And I don't know exactly the reason why. Most recently, it happened to me after COVID. And all of a sudden, yeah. I got these bad gut issues. And you were the first person I call. And I'm like, hey, you know, Stan, what do I do? So can you speak about that a little bit, just in terms yeah. of establishing a good base of gut health for anybody who's struggling with digestion? Because it doesn't matter what you're putting in your body if you're not getting the benefit of the food. Agreed. Generally speaking, when we talk about health and fitness, we understand they're not the same thing. Uh, the fitness level required to be uh, a world's strongest man or a UFC fighter or even a 14-year-old gymnast at the Olympics is not necessarily healthy. Yep. Okay. So first and foremost, what our goal is, is try and mitigate damage. We're going to push our bodies to the edge for that 1% of people out there that's competing. But meanwhile, as I mentioned previously, we're going to do a lot of things to try and make sure that we do that without compromising our health. So we have a, a longer career and a more successful career. And one of the things that people commonly ask about is digestion or gut health. There's a lot of great research comes most of it out of some, some significant research out of Stanford regarding microbiome diversity. And again, this is a very, very uh, young field. We don't know a lot about it. Generally speaking, what we can say is that you want to have some degree of diversity in your diet. You want to have uh, fruits and vegetables in your diet. You want to have significant uh, or at least sufficient amounts of fiber. 
The challenge with that is oftentimes that people may end up with digestive distress, like you just mentioned, certain reacting to certain foods. And the, the best studied method to decrease symptoms from IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, is the FODMAP, the low FODMAP diet. That's uh, uh, called fermentable oligo monosaccharides and polyols. And it's this, a mouthful right It's there. a mouthful. <laughs> and it, it just helps you identify what foods are more likely to cause digestive distress or irritate irritable bowel syndrome and which foods are less likely to. And uh, this is from Monash University out of Australia, and they've done extensive research now and, and seen that you can get a relief from symptoms if you apply this. It's not a guarantee. It is somewhat of a restrictive or a, a res an elimination diet initially. And, and the reason that we have to be cautious about using elimination diets long term is because is I just mentioned that diversity is what uh, diversity in your diet is what contributes to a diverse microbiome yep. in your digestive. So. <clears throat> that I use that kind of as a platform for people who are having uh, a lot of digestive distress issues. Things like garlic and onions may significantly irritate your stomach, cause some gas and bloating or diarrhea. Uh, some things like maybe too many cruciferous vegetables. You know, people think like, hey, I wanna eat healthy. I'm gonna have some broccoli. I'm gonna eat some Brussels sprouts. And then they're wondering why yeah. they got the runs. Or too much fiber too quickly. That's the kind of thing you might wanna have to titrate over time. Yep. Uh, what's important to remember uh, about this is that we're not having a good food, bad food conversation here. It's really how you respond. It's individualistic, it's dose dependent, how the food's prepared matters, and it can be cumulative in nature. You know, day one, you might be fine, but by day three of consuming that same food, you may have started to build up a reaction to it. And so it is kind of a difficult path to navigate, uh, but the original, at least implementing an elimination diet, utilizing the most researched uh, diet, which is the low FODMAP diet. And, and that would be like a starting point for somebody, it's a starting right? Point. Like here, here's a list of stuff that probably has less of a probability mm -hmm. of flaring you up, yeah. so to speak. And you um, can just Google FODMAP, F-O-D-M-A-P, FODMAP uh, is an IBS diet, and they'll show you a menu. You know, they have one that's neat that's red and green, and it, it shows you items that might cause you distress and items that, that you could probably steer to that will cause you less distress, to at least get you started. And then understanding that reintroduction is the goal long term so yep. that you don't you, you know, continue to over-restrict. So, you know, Stan has a way of rolling out these catchphrases that, that rhyme, but they're kind of brilliant. And, and one of the things he said to me that really resonated with regard to this subject specifically was to don't just eat the foods you like, but <laughs> yeah. eat the foods that like you. I so always for say, instance, yeah. yeah, I may like ice cream, yeah. but my butthole does not like no. ice cream. Right? I don't eat foods I like. I yeah. eat foods that like me. And I make that decision about an hour after I eat. Usually yep. that's when your stomach and your digestion starts and to tell you. Oh, why did I do that? I knew, I knew better. Yeah. And, and for some reason, people are always like, well, I thought this time would be different. Right. <laughs> and we should just touch on allergies versus intolerance. There's yep. some foods that people are allergic to that they should not eat. They have an allergic reaction. Uh, people with nuts who get uh, anaphylactic shock and people who are lactose uh, or have a, say a whey allergy and they can't drink any uh, dairy products or consume any dairy products. Uh, but then there's an intolerance and intolerance is very different. You may be able to uh, consume a, a given amount of that product and not too much. Dairy is an example of that where you might be able to handle two ounces or four ounces, or you might not be able to handle milk, but you can handle yogurt or yeah, cheddar the, cheese. The, the, types of, uh, the, the types of dairy you're eating, you know, is it stuff that 
is um, pasteurized or not? Is it stuff like, you know, the difference between a glass of milk and hard, sharp cheddar cheese? Very different in its lactose content. And then how much you consume and whether or not you've abstained from dairy for a while and your lactase enzyme has downregulated. So you reintroduce titrate slowly over time that lactase enzyme will upregulate and you'll maybe be able to tolerate more. And the only reason I mention it, not that dairy is required, but it's a great source of calcium vitamin D, and it's a, it's, a, it's a good way to get those things from your diet. Okay, so let's let's move on to a, a, another subject that you've helped me out with a lot. Now, hey, listen, I love building muscle, right? Yeah. I mean, you've known me for a while. You've probably seen me yeah. gain about 30 pounds in the time that you've known me. And, um, you, you know, part of gaining muscle over time is adjusting, your body adjusting to the increased mass. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the issues that I had that a lot of athletes have, especially as their body mass goes up, is an increase in blood pressure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I called you, uh, I think it was about a year ago, and I said, hey, Stan, uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm about 260 pounds, but my blood pressure's about 150 over 90. Mm-hmm. I'm not super high. stoked on it. What do you think? Yeah. And you instantly had an answer, and I'll tell you what, the, the answer Stan gave me, honestly, it got me back in range in about three weeks, I was back in yeah. range. Yeah, So it so, can happen quickly, yeah. yeah. And I do have a high blood pressure quick fix kit as part of my vertical diet ebook, along with a high blood sugar quick fix kit, a high cholesterol quick fix kit. These are questions I've been asked many times and, and the vertical diet was really my way of putting all this information to one place so when I got a client, I could easily you know, give it all to them without having to re-explain it. But some of the key components for blood pressure, and, and again, as you said, when you gain weight, That's probably number one on the list. Losing weight will decrease your blood pressure. But I come across a lot of athletes like yourself, strongmen, et cetera. That's not an option because that will impair their performance. So we have to go to, you know, step two on the hierarchy. uh, And that's going to be sleep and sleep optimization, sleep apnea. And as you get bigger and your neck gets thicker, you get some crowding of the airway. You start holding your breath at night, snoring, waking up tired. So, so dudes out there, listen, it sounds weird, but have your wife record you. Because my wife recorded me sleeping. It was terrifying. I thought someone was being strangled in their sleep choking and i was like i had no idea i even sounded like that and you're right it's the mass of your neck it's the weight of your chest true especially depending on the way that you sleep if you're sleeping on your back too that can really jam everything up in your throat and even relatively lean individuals that squat a lot and get a thicker neck as compared to their total body uh, will may have some experience with uh, sleep apnea and you can use what's called a stop bang questionnaire you can download that off the internet, but it gives you some question to answer. Generally speaking, if you're if you snore and wake up tired, you may have some degree of sleep apnea. Uh, that could have a huge impact on your blood pressure. Uh, beyond that, we talked about uh, the weight loss. We talked about the sleep apnea. Uh, next on the list would probably be your cardiovascular fitness. The the uh, your blood sugar control. Too high of blood sugars too consistently throughout the day can cause uh, elevated insulin, and which would result in a high blood pressure. So now we're talking about my high blood sugar quick fix kit. One of the key components of that after weight loss is those 10 minute walks after meals. That has a huge impact on on bringing down what they call postprandial glycemia. It reduces the peak and the duration of blood sugar and then insulin after a meal. And that can help ameliorate some of your blood pressure. You know, you talk about those 10 minute walks with regard to blood sugar control. And I I absolutely understand that's a great that's a great way to to bring that blood sugar back down by starting to move and starting Mm -hmm. to, I guess you could call it pushing glycogen around, so to speak. But um, one thing that I found about those 10 minute walks was that not only was it good for kind of uh, not getting really sleepy after a meal, but um, great for facilitating digestion. 100%. So when we're talking about, hey, you just ate a meal and you got real farty and bloated, 
right what you know what's going on here this is a way an easy way you can you can do to just get yourself moving yeah. after it the meal improves the enzymatic action and the muscular contraction of your digestive system i used to say it uh, it helps uh, uh it suppresses gas mark bell would say it releases gas <laughs> so you can get rid of all that on your walk it really does help settle you down we we gotta we gotta talk a little bit about what this walk looks like because i was out to to dinner with you after we taught a seminar here i don't remember it was in columbus ohio yeah. and he said okay let's go on a 10 minute walk and when he said 10 minute walk, he meant a real brisk walk. It's I mean, 4.0. I think if you're on a treadmill, arms yeah, it's from it's his deliberate. forehead to his hip going around. He looked like Wreck-It Ralph walking around the parking lot. And that's practice. Yep. Anything's better than nothing. Get started somehow. Just get yourself up and moving after a meal. Don't sit. And then over time, you'll find that you just tend to move a little faster. I want to say one more thing on blood pressure that's very important. It's potassium. Some people are salt sensitive and hypertensive, and they may need to reduce their sodium intake. And that would be only for those individuals, about a third of the population. The rest of those folks probably aren't too influenced by it. And I hate to over-restrict sodium in athletes because yep. it, it can be a key component for performance. Having said that, potassium intake. It's hard to get 4,700 milligrams of potassium a day. You have to be deliberate about it. You have to choose the foods. That's why I build the foundation of the vertical diet the way I do. I start with a daily potato because that's 1,000 milligrams of potassium, over twice that of a banana. And then fruit also, you know, 500 milligrams of potassium per cup. Dairy, yogurt, 500 milligrams of potassium per cup. So I include those foods as the foundation. I start with those. And then if you need additional calories, carbohydrates or whatever to fuel your workload or your mass, uh, then we can start to branch out from there once you've satisfied your potassium requirement. That'll bring blood pressure down really quickly. So we got a lot of athletes out there at Thunderbro and in general that like to train hard, yeah. right? They like to get in the gym and they like to unleash hell and they break down a lot of muscle. Sure. Uh, we got a lot of athletes out there that are trying to get lean and they're eating high protein diets for extended periods of time. And as you guys know, one of the critical organs in the body that takes a lot of stress when it comes to high amounts of protein and high training volume is the kidneys. So could you speak a little bit about kidney health and what athletes can do to mitigate that? And if you're out there and you're wondering about what the hell is kidney health, what does that even mean? Kidneys are your filtration process. They help you break down all the waste you break down in training, all the creatinine. It has to pass through the kidneys, right? So when you're training with high volume, it puts additional stress on your kidneys. And in addition to that, if you've been doing this for any period of time, you're going to want to take a look at those levels regularly and look at things like your creatinine, mm -hmm. your uh, globular filtration rate, uh, all, all that types of stuff. What are some ways that you try to help mitigate that with athletes, especially athletes that are chasing those types of things? eating tons of protein, doing tons of training. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, we don't see in the research that, that protein, even excess of two grams of protein per pound of body weight has any adverse impact on the kidneys. Uh, hydration is the number one thing. Your body is, is like I said, your kidney is a filter. It needs sufficient water, uh, particularly to fuel your workload, hot training, humid, those kinds of things. You're gonna want more water, so we mitigate that. Uh, you know, Beyond that, we're gonna want to make sure we have a good micronutrient-dense diet. Uh, there's not a lot you can do for those filters. Uh, it's usually a marker of overall health. Yep. Uh, and and what I find is that people tend to negatively impact their health with things like performance enhancing drugs, things like uh, NSAIDs, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents. There's things you can take, medications or otherwise, that can adversely affect your liver and your kidneys. But generally speaking, from your training and, and et cetera, uh, and your protein consumption, so long as you're getting sufficient water and sufficiently recovering, 
a lot of times it's it's training too much too often and breaking down muscle tissue and not recovering. So this is one of the blood markers that I see a lot of CrossFitters mm-hmm. are out of range yeah. when it comes to this. And, and it's because of the chronic intense exercise. Mm-hmm. You, know, you guys have all heard of syndromes like rhabdomyolysis, yeah. uh, where there's such an enormous amount of, of muscular breakdown that it can actually, for lack of a scientific word, clog up your kidneys. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, not a lot of people think about it until it's an issue, you know, and, and so it's important to kind of look at that and track that stuff because I know everyone loves training and, and that's great. But in a lot of cases, you'll find that training smarter will allow you to train harder for longer. A lot of guys that end up with these types of issues, they can't train real hard anymore because yeah. they, their body just can't take it. So this is one of the things when it comes to health performance and longevity that can be really important for athletes to look at. All right, Agreed. let's take a look. And I should say, since we're on this topic, yep. get a blood test. If you don't know, look at your liver and kidney tests. Like you said, the creatinine and the bun and the EGFR, those kinds of things are in a blood test. I've been going through Merrick Health recently, M-A-R-E-K-Health.com, and they have a very affordable panel that you'll find on there, Understand Efforting. It's like $140. So the barrier to entry has been reduced in terms of cost. There's really no excuse not to get a very comprehensible uh, comprehensive panel for 140 bucks that you do online. You don't have to visit a doctor. They email you a requisition form, you take it down to LabCorp, and then three days later you get your results, and then you can you know, request a professional to uh, either them or your doctor to, to give you assistance if you need. But you made a good point. When you break down muscle tissue, the, the myoglobin that's released from muscle tissue breakdown will show elevated creatinine, maybe cause some elevated AST, ALT enzymes in the bloodstream. It's not necessarily indicative of kidney damage. And so you might want to go one step beyond that and get a cystatin C or you know, talk to a professional that can find out if you do have damage or if that's just a marker from, from your workout. I try not to train within three days of getting a blood test so I can mitigate some of uh, you know the, the distractions from muscle tissue breakdown and consume enough water would be a, a big component. You know, a lot of people out there, when it comes to blood work, it's kind of like you're talking Greek to them. They don't know, they go, I'll go to my yeah. doctor and I'll get some blood work. But as an athlete, uh, what are some general panels that you think every athlete should have about themselves? Yeah, I mean, we just mentioned that we're, we're gonna wanna get, to, uh, you know, a complete metabolic panel. We're gonna wanna look at the kidneys and the liver. We're gonna wanna get uh, our blood thickness is important. Obviously, blood pressure is something you, you want to monitor that we just talked about earlier. Uh, your blood sugars. Yep. Uh, your, uh, and I think beyond just fasted glucose and HA1C, you're going to want to look at your fasted insulin. That's not commonly tested. I put it into my test that I just recommended. You know, there's a lot of tests that a, a regular general practitioner wouldn't even really think about because they'll ask you, well, why do you need that? Right. right. Correct. Yeah. So that whole panel exists. It's all broken down on uh, for People, if they go to MerrickHealth.com and they see Stand Efforting's panel, it's all on there. It'll describe it in detail. Awesome. You got to take a look at that stuff. You know, it's like your training, guys. You log your training in the gym. You know exactly what weights you lift and how many mm-hmm. reps you're going to lift. And you're grading that against your progress. Counting your macros. And we talk about it, Thunderbird. You know, we talk about our three pillars, your training, your nutrition, and your internal chemistry. And they all lean on each other. If any one of those are off, it's going to affect one of those other components. 100%. So for people to ignore one of these really important pillar foundations, you're flying blind. Right. You're, you're only at a fraction of your capacity so i recommend anybody gets uh gets that whether you're doing it for your health or your performance or your aesthetics if you don't know you you just you know if you have no plan you plan to fail um all right so let's talk a little bit about some of your books and i'll tell you the first time i was uh introduced to stan efforting not even in person a buddy forwarded me 
a PDF yeah. and it was the vertical diet PDF. And I'm looking, it's got like a map on it and it's got arrows and this and that. And I'm like, well, what is this? And he goes, well, it's, it's, it's a list of foods that you're supposed to eat. And I go, well, how, what, what are the macros? He goes, it doesn't matter. You, whatever macros you want. I go, how much low carb, high carb? It doesn't matter. You just, you just eat the foods on the list. And if it's not on the list, don't fucking eat it. <laughs> so talk to me about this yeah. first PDF and where it's grown from there. Yeah. You know, initially it, again, it's not a good food, bad food conversation. I wanted to build a foundation that prioritized calories first, protein second, and then highly micronutrient dense bioavailable foods that provided you all the micronutrients that you needed. You know, at the time it was kind of a, it fits your macros environment some six years ago. Uh, and I said, well, if what fits your macros doesn't necessarily fit your micros. And we discussed briefly today about the importance of things like getting adequate calcium and potassium and magnesium and those kinds of things in your diet. And so I built the diet with the foods that had the most of those, uh, the, the highest density of those foods in there. And we start with that as the foundation. And that's kind of how I rolled it out. It, taught, it discussed, you know, things like IBS and digestive distress, because I've worked with competitive athletes for over 30 years. And it's very common in the physique industry, bodybuilding, figure, bikini, those folks, as well as athletes, especially those bulking. I get a lot of people talking about diarrhea and gas and indigestion and just having a trouble eating their food. It's a lot of food to process. I mean, if you're going for it, if you're eating a progressive caloric surplus, mm -hmm. you're stressing your body more and more to be able to yep. process, that, process that food where you're training your body to turn matter into muscle mass. And these are and certainly things I experienced throughout my career as I was bulking. I ended up with metabolic syndrome and I had over 150 blood tests throughout my career. I saw the markers increasing as I gained weight and I was able to apply some of these methods to mitigate some of those and keep them under control. And when I saw my, my athletes, particularly my female athletes, my college uh, track athletes, as well as the figure physique bikini girls uh, uh, a lot of them will end up with what they call the female triad from this chronic calorie deficit uh, uh amenorrhea cessation of the menstrual period anemia which is a an iron deficiency i would see that commonly you know uh, osteoporosis or osteopenia you know a calcium deficiency i was seeing that very commonly in the competitive female industry and so the diet was was heavy on get sufficient calcium get sufficient iron uh, what things help you absorb more iron you know heme non-heme vitamin c together avoid uh, combining that with, say, caffeine and calcium at that same meal. So with all these methods that, to try and optimize absorption, because you're at this, anytime you're at a, a restricted, a calorie-restricted diet, it becomes more and more important that what you do eat, because there's less of it, has to have everything you need in it's, the combination that you need. You want to be putting high test fuel where you have you're to. giving your body the maximum yep. amount because you are so restricted. And I'm the big believer in flexible dieting for the general population most of the time. But when you start restricting, you have to be more and more careful about what you put into that, in that smaller group of, of foods that you're eating. A lot of bang for your buck per calorie in terms of what your body's able to actually get out of it. And yep. Um, you know, one of the catchphrases, again, I heard Stan say, and this is a beautiful one, is, hey, it's called bodybuilding, not body shrinking. Right. <laughs> so we're not going to starve you with tilapia and egg whites, but we're going to give your body high quality foods what it needs to thrive. Yeah, you're still in a deficit. You're still going to, you know, lose body fat, but you're able to thrive through that process. Most guys, like, you know, when they go through a prep, they'll eat lots of lean meats, right? You'll be eating chicken and things with almost no fat. And one of the things I've tried to stick to during every prep is staying with the red meat, the 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 bang for your buck out of red meat in terms of the nutrient density and the full panel. Well, it's three times higher in iron, six times higher in B12, nine times higher in zinc than chicken. It's not to say chicken's bad, but again, when you're restricting, you need to pick the foods that have the most of everything because you're eating less and less of all of them. So you know, people are just uh, they're lazy in general, yeah. and they want to they, they want to ask you nine million questions. 
But when it comes time to execute, sometimes there's a disconnect. So what you did is you took it one step farther and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what to eat. I'm just going to make the meals for you. Yeah. Talk a little bit about vertical diet meal delivery service and how this is working. You know, the number one way to comply with the diet, and they've done many studies on this, and this is what the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry does very well. It's why they're very successful at getting on stage in the best shape of their life is because they meal prep. They only eat the foods in the quantities that they need them. They've measured it all out and weighed it. We're terrible at estimating calories. Restaurants are off by 50%. Uh, menu or uh, uh, ingredients lists on packages are off by 20, 30%. Registered dietitians are off by 20, 30%. We're terrible at estimating portion sizes. We also are subject to, of course, overeating and binging and uh, snacks, licks, bites, sips, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, so, Meal prep is the number one way. Whether you do it yourself or we do it, I started the meal prep company that would help my clients then just eat the meals that I prepared and provide it to them. That was the, the vertical diet and we'll be uh, back up and running nationwide here on August 29th. Okay, we're, we're closing in our last minute. I called Stan earlier this year and I said, hey, Stan, dude, I, I'm, I'm getting older. My body's breaking down. Like, what are you doing with your training that's different? And I think he gave me one of these like, hey, Dave, the motion is the lotion. Just keep yourself moving. Yeah. Stimulate. Don't annihilate. And just like with the diet, you know, he 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 has a way of reducing the training down to really elegant. What's going to give you the most bang for your buck? We just did a training session, 45 minutes, four different movements, hit it and quit it. And now you're starting to do it on the flip side, not just in aging athletes, but with young kids. So tell us what's going on there. Yeah, well, tomorrow we're going to do a vertical diet kids power hour. I'll teach them how to squat, bench and deadlift. And this is from kindergarten to college. Uh, we're going to uh, just get people started lifting weights. The American uh, Academy of Pediatrics suggests that it's an essential uh, for kids to start loading their bodies. They're not getting enough exercise. Uh, and they're not, and, and that the weight training in particular stimulates muscle mass and bone mineral density early in life's more important. So we're not talking about leg extensions and hamstring curls and cable bicep baloney with PVC pipes. We're talking about real lifting with real barbells and letting the body do what it naturally knows and wants to do. Starting them young. Stan, thank you so much for coming Thanks on, Thanks for brother. having me, Dave. Awesome.